You can take your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Romans. As I mentioned earlier, next week we'll have the privilege of hearing from Pastor Sam Choi, pastor of Prior Lake Baptist Church. He'll be with us for a Sunday, been a great partner to us over the years. But I am thankful to be here today and to be able to open up the book of Romans, chapter 1, with us again today. Now maybe you can remember last week, if you happened to be here, that Paul talked a lot about how excited he was to finally, after so many years, be on his way to Rome. Remember, he'd wanted to come for years, but never had been able to work it out. But now he's like, I just got one more thing I need to do. Take, take a gift down to Jerusalem, and then I'm headed your way. At least that's his plan at this point. Now, we spent a lot of time last week just asking a really simple question about this. Like, and the question was, why? Why was he so eager to get there face to face? I mean, he had been praying for them for a long time, but why was it so important to actually get there in person? What did he hope would happen? Do you remember some of these things? You can look at Romans chapter 1. You look at verses 11 and 12, especially verse 12. He says, I, I want to get there because I want to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Verse 13, he says, I want to get there because I want fruit among you, like I've seen among all these other Gentiles that I've been ministering to. But where I want to start today is what he says, is with what he says in verse 14. All right, look at what Paul says. This is part of why he wants to get there. He says, it's because I am under obligation, or as some translations say, I am in debt, both to Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Say, why is he so eager to get there? He says, it's because I'm under obligation or I am in debt. That's why I want to come. So last week, I just mentioned these verses because I wanted to ask you a question for you to think about. The question was, how did Paul get in debt to all these people. Did you think about that over the last week? Maybe you think, I completely forgot. So you can think about it today. How did Paul end up in debt to all of these people? He says he feels this deep sense of obligation or debt. How did that happen? How would you explain that? Now, I think the first the first step to answering that is to start with a different question. It's a related question. And that's the question, who is Paul in debt to? Or if you really like English, to whom is Paul in debt? All right. Who's he in debt to? You, you look at that text, you say, well, he's in debt to Greeks and barbarians. All right. Now, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think about a barbarian. But I imagine you probably don't picture like a nice-looking, well-dressed city kind of guy. Uh, fair enough. But, but I also, I don't think Paul is speaking of barbarians as some sort of, you know, like strange, 
uh, uneducated, weapon-wielding warriors out in the country somewhere. I don't think that's what he means by barbarians. If you, maybe you have the NIV translation in front of you, or if you just would listen to what it says. It's, it just says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to non-Greeks. Okay, that's all. Because that, they know we don't really connect with the word barbarian. And so they're just saying, this is probably all Paul's getting at, to Greeks and non-Greeks. Like they don't speak Greek. They don't act Greek. Okay, But here's the question again. To whom is Paul in debt? He says, I'm in debt or I'm under obligation both to Greeks and non-Greeks. Or to put it another way, Paul's saying, me, I, the Jew, am in debt to all the Gentile peoples, whether they're Greek people or not Greek people. I'm in debt to all Gentile people. And then he says, and I'm in debt to the wise and the foolish. And maybe that just emphasizes something a little different. Like Greeks and non-Greeks, maybe you think that's kind of like cultural differences. Wise and foolish maybe is more like education, intellectual status. But the bottom line is, Paul's saying, whether Gentiles are Greek or not, whether they're the intellectual elite or not, I owe them all. That's why I want to come to Rome. All right, but our initial question is still out there. How did Paul get in debt to all of these people? And the challenge for us on this, I think, is that we probably tend to think of debt in only one way, like of getting into debt in only one way. And what is that? We borrow something that we didn't have from someone else, and then we're in debt to that person. I mean, that's, we think of credit cards. We think of getting a loan for a house. We think of asking mom and dad for 20 bucks. We do this kind of stuff, and then we're in debt, right? To the person, or the business, or the bank, or whatever. That's how it works. We owe something to the person we borrowed something from. So when we come to this text, and Paul's like, you know, I'm in debt to all the Gentiles. We're like, how did that happen? You know, what did you borrow from all these people, and why did you borrow so much from them? Uh, This is a struggle I used to have with this text, but then I can remember years ago, I read uh, a little commentary uh, by a guy named John Stott about this, and he pointed out something really simple that just has always helped me with this text. He just pointed out, you know, there's another way that you can get into debt, And, and that was like, huh. And I think that makes sense of this text. Did you know that? That you don't necessarily have to borrow anything from someone to be in debt to that person. That may seem odd at first, but just think about it. All right, so I'll look. Where's Isaiah? Is Isaiah in here somewhere? I don't know. There you are. All right. And Nesh. All right, I'll take these two. All right, you don't have to come up here. But all right, so I'm going to talk about Isaiah and Nesh. All right, so let's suppose Isaiah really needs some money. Because he needs batteries for his new race car that he got this weekend. Because I saw this race car, right? So what does Isaiah do? He thinks of Nesha, right? He remember because he remembers hearing Nesha say that she's got a cool bank account. At what is it, like TCF Bank or something? So he asks Nesha, hey Nesha, can I have five dollars? I promise I'll pay you back when I'm 16 years old. 
right? And so Nesha says, okay. So she gives him five bucks, all right? Now Isaiah is in debt to Nesha. He owes her five bucks. We all understand this, right? Now I want to change the illustration a bit, okay? So let's suppose it's after today's service. Nesha's out on the playground after church, but Isaiah sticks around in here, and he's helping us put some stuff away. And, and so I go to Isaiah, and I say, hey, buddy, I've got five bucks here for you. It's for Nesha. Can you take this out to the playground and give her this five bucks for me? And he says, sure thing, no problem. He takes the five dollars. Now, I want you to think about that. What just happened? Okay. As soon as he takes that five bucks from me, five dollars that is for her, he owes her that five dollars, doesn't he? He's like in debt to her until he gives it to her. Why? It's not because he borrowed something from her. He didn't. It's because I gave him something important to give to her, and he said he'd do it, and he needs to actually do it. And until he does, he owes it to her. And, and uh, I think this is actually the same thing that's going on in this text. There, this is the second way you can get into debt, and I believe it's what Paul's talking about. That's how he got in debt to the Gentile world. It's not that Paul borrowed something from the Gentiles. No, what happened was somebody else gave Paul something really valuable. And he said, I want you to give it to them. And Paul's actually already talked about this in this very chapter. He started the book with this. Do you remember? He says back in verses 1 through 5, Jesus called me as an apostle and he gave me the gospel to give to all the Gentiles, including you guys in Rome, is what he says in verse 5. Jesus gave Paul the gospel so he would give it to the Gentiles for Jesus. And so what does Paul feel when he thinks of Rome, a city he's never been to, or especially when he thinks of the cities beyond Rome? that have never even heard about Jesus yet, what does he feel? He says, I feel such a deep sense of obligation. I am in debt to them all. See, when Jesus gave Paul the gospel, he didn't give Paul the gospel so Paul would keep it to himself or for himself. Jesus gave him the gospel so he would give it to other people for Jesus. And when we start to think of it this way, I think we start to realize how this connects to us as well. Now, I'm not going to say <clears throat> that we all have been given the same call as an apostle, you know, to, to do, like Paul did, but we have been entrusted with the gospel. And Jesus did not give us the gospel so we can keep it for ourselves or keep it to ourselves. Jesus gave us the gospel so we would give it freely to other people that we know. After all, I mean, what has Jesus said to us all? He told us, go and make disciples of all the nations, 
for me, right? Jesus didn't give us the gospel, so we just keep it here among ourselves. He entrusted it to us here at this church so we'd carry it from here every week out there to spread it among our community, among our neighbors, with our families. And, and Paul doesn't draw from this like, I'm in debt. And he doesn't think about that and then think, well, all right, I guess I'll go out reluctantly, you know, since I have to. I mean, if I really have to. And I guess I'll try, you know, sometimes. Like if it just, like if I'm kind of like forced into it, you know, I guess I'll share the gospel. Like, I mean, you look at how he, how he applies this in his own life. He says in verse 15, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, right? I've always loved how the old King James version said this verse. I grew up hearing some of the King James, and I remember this verse in specifically, because it says, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. See, the debt that he felt drove him to pray fervently and to proclaim eagerly the good news that God had come to the rescue of the sinners around him through his son Jesus. But still, we might wonder, Paul, how can you be so eager? I mean, if we're honest, many of us struggle, to say the least, to be this eager to tell people about Jesus. And so perhaps we should just ask Paul, like, help us, Paul. Why do you feel this way? How do you feel this way? Not because we like, think he's odd, but rather because we're like, I, I want to feel that way. I want to think that way. I want to live that way. So I want to look at his answer. It's in verse 16. Romans 1, verse 16. So he says, verse 15, I'm, I'm like really, really eager to do this. It says, verse 16, because I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We asked Paul, 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 why are you so eager to preach the gospel? He says, it's, it's because I'm not ashamed of it. Paul doesn't say that for no reason. It's, he, he knows it's very, very possible for somebody to be ashamed or embarrassed by the gospel. This has always been the case. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about what Paul actually did during his life. I mean, just think about it. Think about what he did. Here's a Jewish guy, okay, who goes into Gentile cities where there is not even one Christian, okay? And think about what he would tell people, the story that he would tell. Now, he'd tell people who believed in lots of gods and who confessed Caesar is the only Lord of the world. He's the Lord of the world, okay? He'd go in there and he would start telling people, you know what? There's only one true God, not many, and there's only one true Lord of the world and his name isn't Caesar. It's Jesus. And maybe someone says, that sounds crazy and maybe a little dangerous, but I'm a little curious. You know, who is this 
Jesus person, this Lord of the word, Lord of the world fellow? And then what does Paul say? I mean, think about what he would have to say. He would start telling people about Jesus, a Jewish man. There was a Jewish man who lived over in Israel. Maybe you've heard of Israel. You know, he lived there like 10 years ago. And, and someone's like, huh? There's a Jewish guy over in Israel that's the Lord of the world? In the country that Caesar rules? Like, tell me more. Okay, and then, and then, so what happened to this guy? Like, where is he? I haven't heard about him. So Paul says, well, for a while he had a big following. But in the end, his own people, like my people, we all rejected him. And we handed him over to your governing authorities who hung him up on a cross and crucified him. And that's like probably the end of the story, right? For a lot of people, they're like, I don't want to listen to this anymore. And, it, and, and then you think, I mean, where he has to go from there? That that was actually being done for you? That then three days later, God raised him from the dead? He's ascended to the right hand of God and is reigning over the world today? And he's the only hope you have of being saved from the wrath to come. And you think, what is that? That is, that's like what 1 Corinthians said. That's what James read, right? That is complete foolishness to Greek people, to Gentile people. That sounds like a message you could really easily be embarrassed of, ashamed of. And yet Paul's like, I'm not ashamed of this at all. I'm not embarrassed by this. I am proud of this message. And again, we're like, how can we get there? <laughs> like, what are you seeing? And you look again at verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God to save everyone who believes it. Paul says, I'm not embarrassed by this because I know it's God's power to save. Or to put it another way, the gospel message is what unlocks or unleashes God's power to save people. You see, the gospel isn't simply a message that God wants to save us. The gospel, when it's actually preached, unleashes God's saving power. And, and if, you, if you're a Christian and you think about it, you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. I mean, think about your own life. There was a time when you and I were dead in our sins. There was a time when we had no ears to hear God's words, no heart that wanted to turn from our sins and follow Jesus. And then what happened to us? And I'm sure, and this is part of what I love about being in the church, is we got all kinds of different stories of the different roads, twists and turns of how God brought us to Jesus. But, but somewhere along the way for all of us, we heard the gospel. Somebody 
shared it with us. They told us the good news that God wanted to save us and had sent his son Jesus for that reason. Perhaps it was proclaimed to you by a friend or a pastor or shared with you by a parent or perhaps you simply read this in the Bible on your own. And what happened? It may have been the 912th time you heard it. But what happened? Somewhere along the way, God did something unexpected, something miraculous through the gospel that was preached to you. Like through hearing it and thinking about it, God like unlocked your heart, opened your eyes, brought us to faith and saved us through the gospel. The gospel is what unlocks and unleashes the saving power of God. And this, brothers and sisters, is why we need to actually share the gospel. The gospel won't do a thing for our friends if we never tell it to them. I am all for building relationships with neighbors and coworkers and friends and for showing hospitality and having people in our homes. I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time. But what we always have to remember is this. We need to actually share the gospel because it's the gospel that is the power of God to save. It's when we share it that God's power is unleashed and he can bring the dead to life. And this brings us to our last part of verse 16 today. And that it is that the gospel is God's power to save everyone who believes it. The Jew first, also the Greek. So, so we announce the good news. And through our preaching of the good news, God works powerfully in hearts to save people from judgment, to rescue them from their sins. And what this part of verse 16 reminds us of is that God doesn't do that for just one kind of person. The gospel is for every kind of person, every kind of neighbor, every kind of sinner, every kind of person. Jew, Gentile, Greek, barbarian, wise, unwise, slave, free, brown, white, black. There is no distinction. The same Lord, as Paul says, is Lord of all, and he is so rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel is for everyone. It has the power to save anyone who will believe it. As Paul says, it went to the Jews first. I mean, think of that. Jesus came to his own people. The initial apostles were all Jewish, even at Pentecost. God poured out his spirit on thousands of Jewish believers. But Paul knows that through him in particular, though the gospel is still for Jews, the gospel has started to spread already in his day to more and more Gentiles. And it's still spreading today to the farthest corners of the earth. The gospel is for everyone everywhere. And so you can share it free of charge with anybody. No partiality. And we can be sure of this. When you, when you look at someone and you actually tell them the good news about Jesus, you can say with confidence that it doesn't matter where you come from 
or what you've done. If you'll believe this, you can be saved. The good news of Jesus is good news for us all. Nobody's beyond the pale. Now, we've taken our time to think about just a couple of verses. But pretty much everything about this is showing us, you know, Paul really, really wanted to talk about Jesus with people, right? He knew what Jesus had done for him. He had seen what Jesus could do for others. And he knew what Jesus told him to do. Give this good news to them. I am giving it to you so you will give it to them. And the main application for us all is pretty simple. Have I been sharing the good news about Jesus with anyone lately? I'm not asking if you've shared it with everyone, but have you been sharing it with anyone lately? If so, praise God for that and pray for more open doors. But if not, this text pushes us to ask, why not? If you had to put your finger on it, how would you explain it yourself? Is it a lack of opportunity? Could be. Is it a lack of confidence? Is it perhaps that we're a little ashamed of the message in our own culture? I mean, to call sin what it is, to tell someone they need to repent, to announce that Jesus is the Lord of the world, that he is the only hope you have to be saved from the wrath to come. That's a message I could see people being ashamed of. I felt that way. The question is, are we ashamed of this? But as we close, I actually want to have us look at one more thing in verse 15. There's one more simple observation I want to make and leave us with this. Look at verse 15 again. Remember, that's where Paul says, I'm really eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, I just want you to think about that. Who does he want to preach the gospel to in Rome? Who's he writing to? Now, now on the one hand, I think without a doubt, (laughs) Paul was looking forward to being in Rome because he wanted to tell unbelievers the gospel. I mean, if you know anything about Paul, that would be true, right? But when Paul is writing a letter to the Roman churches and he says to those churches, I am so excited to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Who does that seem to include? It seems like Paul's saying, I want to preach the gospel to you Roman Christians too. And doesn't that seem odd maybe? Like, haven't these people already heard the gospel? Don't they already believe it? Then why would Paul want to preach the gospel to them? Why preach the gospel to Christians? The answer is simple. This is the thought I want to leave us with today. The gospel isn't just for unbelievers. That's been most of the thrust of today's message. We've been given the gospel to give to other people. But do not walk away from this message today thinking the gospel is just for unbelievers. The gospel is for us. Paul's wanted to come 
to Rome for a long time, not just to preach to outsiders, but to preach it to insiders, to his own brothers and sisters. Why? Because the gospel is not just for the lost, it is for the found. And one of the clearest proofs of this, okay, get this, one of the clearest proofs of this is right in front of us. Okay. If I ask you, what's the longest, most detailed explanation of the gospel in the whole Bible? What would you say? It is the letter to the Romans. And then I say, who did Paul write this letter to? Did he write this to Roman unbelievers? Or did he write it to the Roman churches? He wrote it to the Roman churches. Now, do non-Christians need what's in Romans? Yes. I mean, if you share the gospel, I bet you you share verses from Romans. And that's a good thing. But my point that I want to leave us with is, so do we. We need the gospel. The gospel is not just for the lost, it's for the found. We need to know the gospel better than we, than we do. That's why I love going through Romans together. We need to soak in it more. We need to glory in it more, to find more comfort in it. We need to love it more. We need to live it out better. In fact, perhaps we've been convicted today of our own apathy. Maybe you've been convicted of your reluctance to open your mouth and share the gospel with, with people you care about. Perhaps you've been convicted of even being downright ashamed of the gospel lately. Do you know what we need today, if that's us? We need the gospel. We need to remember the gospel that there's forgiveness for us, for our laziness and our shame. We need to remember through the gospel that we're still loved by God in spite of our failures behind us and that there's hope in Jesus for better days in front of us through the power of the Son of God. All of us need the gospel. We need to rehearse it daily and one of the things I love about this table is we get to see it and remember it every week together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this challenge, simple challenge to us today from your word. I pray you'll bring forth fruit from it. Open up doors for us, we would ask, with friends and neighbors and coworkers, to open our mouths about Jesus and, and give us courage. Help us not to be ashamed of such an amazing message that has already changed us and that can change the people we love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>